0: Hello and welcome to Sorry to Get Back on Topic. We've had quite a few new listeners joining. Since we had special guest Jeff Perry to talk about the iPad and all of his kind of Apple expertise, um, we might have got some interested folks coming in from his newsletter. So if you're one of those people, then thanks for tuning in. And hopefully uh, you're coming back for this uh, other episode that we're publishing now. I'm going to tee up a rerun for everybody here Uh This is not completely a new episode, but, uh, it's one of my favorites, which is the first part of our Hans Zimmer trilogy, where, uh, we look back and talk about what Hans is doing with the music and how that also kind of works with the film because these are all film scores and, uh, I really like them. I think when I talk to friends about this show, one of the first episodes I'll point them to is this because it's very, you know, people recognize who Hans Zimmer is or at least the movies that he's worked with, like Batman. Uh, So it's a great place to start. And hopefully it's a little bit more fun to engage with because it's music and, you know, we can do easy cutscenes in a podcast. You know, it doesn't require any visuals. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Hans is, you know, such a prolific composer and his techniques, he, often derives so directly from the subject matter of the films which is like one of the reasons i think he's one of our favorites like when he has a movie dealing with time he really plays around with time in his pieces and um especially when like like the passage of time and like the feeling of the passage of time is one of the biggest things that he works with so a lot of his christopher nolan collaborations are exceptional in that regard and that's what we talk about a lot in our in our podcast. So.
0: Yeah. We had some, some great examples from Interstellar, uh, which deals with time, and Inception, also dealing with time. And uh, so Alex was able to break down how he sets that up, particularly with uh, Inception. That was really cool. Um, we also had an episode about yeah. The Revenant. Kind of amazing. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. The Revenant. We have one about that. But kind of amazing, right? That since Christopher Nolan did another movie about time, he didn't employ Hans Zimmer. I mean, what happened there? Right, it's
0: like oh, with Tennet,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I was I was kind of
0: surprised when when I saw the credit on that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, we did the Revenant also. Uh, you you knew more about that composer, Rob? Yeah, Ricci wanna... Sakamoto. Yeah, and
0: uh, he also collaborated with Alvo Noto or Alvinoto, but
1: yeah, it's mm-hmm. really cool.
0: I'd I'd like to do maybe try again and do another episode just on Ricci Sakamoto. Yeah,
1: um, that would be a great cool. one. That'd be a great one. Yeah. Yeah, So make sure you dig back and check out the other uh, soundtrack uh, episodes that we've done, because there's like four of them, I guess, total, right? Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, specifically about soundtracks. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, some of our early episodes about Buddhism I really liked. And then most of them that you see kind of tagged with Sunday Hangout are, uh, you know, when Alex and I are just kind of catching up once a week to see what's new and go on about whatever topic like smart home equipment (laughs) right or job searching (laughs) right if you had to i don't know if you've if you've done this if you had to like describe this podcast to someone who obviously doesn't know about it which would be anyone uh (laughs) how do you describe it
1: well i basically just say like we we kind of start with a loose topic um Generally, except for the Sunday hangs, even those end up having some kind of topic. But then we just let the conversation kind of go wherever it's gonna go, um, which is kind of where the name came from, right? It's like someone will eventually pull it back or like try to remember, like what were we talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then you, I think you said it at one point on some podcast, like sorry to get back on topic, but yeah, I think it was probably the first
0: episode, which is where it it's all started. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I like uh, how it's
0: it leaves that space to just kind of. Explore whatever interesting thing comes to mind. So that way, you're not necessarily losing ideas because you have to stick to a script. Um, but then, you know, eventually, kind of tie a bow on it, coming back to the original topic. Uh, now that you've kind of branched off in some other directions, hopefully, it keeps it interesting.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think we're going to try to have in the future some more like subject matter experts on um, with a similar theme, though, of like just starting with something really loose and then just kind of seeing where it goes. Um, yeah. But I think that's kind of a, a loose plan for the future. So yeah. if that interests you, just to get a, get a quick deep dive on some random topic that one of our friends knows a lot about.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we'll tune in. Outsource all the expertise to our friends from here on out. But for the time being, hopefully you enjoy this episode and you can check out parts two and three, uh, scrolling deeper into our podcast feed uh, or searching for it on our website, joshandrob.com thanks Mike Rappin guest of the pod uh called in to uh provide a theory for Josh and his birds cause every time Josh is listening to music or uh on a chat or whatever the birds just start chirping like crazy I don't know I just figured that's what birds always do but <laughs> you'll have to listen to that episode if you're interested in that um but anyway, he also mentioned... All the episodes that you have, you've been doing with uh, Alex, uh, I've been listening to, um, where you guys talk about music, and I would very much like to hear a podcast about music, and I think that would be cool. And I realized Alex said, oh, I just need a prompt. I mean, just talk about Hans Zimmer for an hour. Like, I just want to know what you guys think of Hans Zimmer. You'd be interested in hearing more about, I guess, what we think of Hans Zimmer, or just kind of like how he, you know, puts together his music, so... Yeah. Anywho, Uh, that's the the very rough prompt. I don't know. Before we kind of, before I go into it, I guess like to hear sort of you know what came to mind when you first thought about doing something related to Hans Zimmer.
1: Well, I mean, my first thought was that like I mean, I love his soundtracks, and I I love them for like all the like uh, guilty pleasure reasons. Like as a musician, like a lot of what he's doing, I'm listening and I'm like. Oh, okay. Like I get it. I get it. And it's kind of repetitive sometimes, but I'm like, but Mm -hmm. man, it works. It just works and works and works always. And it's like, if it ain't broke, (laughs) don't fix it, man. You know, just just keep giving me the feels with all those swelling chords and and uh, repetitive motives that you stretch out. Like, and the more I listened to the Mm -hmm. things this week, I was like, oh yeah, he just he's doing that same trick again. But oh man, it just it's exactly what you need. You know, like so.
0: Yeah, he um I think he he likes to do that a lot. He'll pick a sort of motif or like a character for just all of the soundtrack in general and then he will find ways to kind of distort and push and pull that through each of the different tracks. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool.
1: Yeah, which is obviously a, a you know, a method of a lot of composers throughout history. Um so we should, you know, give him a little bit of props for that. I suppose <laughs> um
0: Yeah. I mean, I took, uh, as a quick pause, um, Nick and I, uh, one of our favorite classes in college was just the Music 101, History of Music, and it was like mm, a little bit of world music, but mostly Western music, and starting from very kind of primitive, early, like organum and basic music, quote unquote, to contemporary music, and then jazz and rock and roll. It's really cool. Um, one of the things, you know, those sort of vocabulary words that you learn is a motif or light motif. Um, so I wanted to know if you uh, had a, a few words to kind of explain that um, from what you understand to the listener.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, a motif is like um, any identifiable fragment of music. So... Like right now, you might be able to hear this in the background. My partner is playing. Yep, I recognize that, and of course, that that small fragment the... da Right, that's a repetitive motive. It's the same thing happening, and it kind of moves around a little bit, but it's the da da dum part. That's the motif, right? So. Um, This is a common thing, uh, obviously, in music, and people play with motives and and, um, stretch them out. So you might have like da, da, dum, later, and that's like a stretching Mm -hmm. out or dum, 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 right? Which would be even more stretched out of that same motive. So Hmm. um, that's how composers play around with the motives. And a light motif, which you mentioned. Yeah, what's
0: what the difference with that?
1: I'm gonna be, I'm gonna feel real silly if I get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's uh, a thing that Wagner created in mm-hmm. his um, Gustamtkunstwerks, which are complete, <laughs> the complete uh, musical experience things that he tried to create, which were like operas that you know took place like there could be like super long, and you can actually still go see them in Vienna, Vienna, yeah, somewhere, yeah, Vienna, Austria, Austria maybe in Germany. I think I don't know. One of those, and they're like there's like a 10 year waiting list to see them, but they're like you know some of them are like 10 hour long operas. Wow. Uh, sorry, my dog's here, and he's got, he's making some noise. Hey, doggie, yeah, we welcome
0: all animals on the podcast.
1: yeah, yeah, This this animal crossing. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was saying about light so he came up with this concept, and it's been obviously used a lot by uh, composers for film of hmm. a motive signaling a character. In uh in an uh, opera,
0: okay. So, um, where a motif could just be like a uh, a molecule of notes that can be re- reused throughout a piece, the light motif is specifically oriented around a character, or like the
1: ring in Lord of the Rings, or something, right? Bodhi, stop that. Stop that. <laughs> come, on, come on, okay. Um, so, one of the reasons for this, I think, again, I'm I'm kind of going off memory from like. 10 to 15 years ago, so bear with me. But, Bodhi, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is, we, might have- we have to take a pause if this gets much worse here. Um, but, anyways, people were really far away and they might not be able to see that a ring was being held up or a goblet was being held up, but they'd hear the music and they would know it was that thing because the music was telling them uh-huh. it was that thing, or they'd know it was that character because here comes the hero's theme or whatever. So it's a really useful tool for telling storytelling to a mass audience where they maybe can't Interesting. see as well. They don't have close up cameras, you know. And that translates
0: day. a lot into film, even though exactly. you can usually see the character. Um, mm. They still use it to kind of, I guess, paint. You know, just paint the 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 bigger picture, the the immersive context of oh, the bad guys on the scene now. So let's play the bad guy tune, and here's the good guy. So let's reinforce the excitement of good guy with good
1: guy music. (laughs) Exactly. And sometimes what you'll notice is you know, like there's a lot of things you can communicate in a soundtrack. You can communicate the setting, as we kind of talked about with the Revenant, right? A lot of setting communication. Um, You can communicate a character. You can communicate an emotion. Um, and sometimes what happens is when a character enters, I've noticed that the the same theme that was going on that was kind of providing the action is still there, but it's now like tainted with the character's motive also. So it's like the mm. character is coloring the scene now. Um, and that could be in a positive way or a negative way, you know. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So Some things to think about, and I'm not sure that all of these necessarily fall strictly into that. Um, I know I listened, I did a deep dive on Inception and Interstellar, and I know you mm-hmm. did uh, what Batman and Sherlock,
0: yeah. Um, based on the stuff I heard in the master class, right? Um, so yeah, I was just gonna add that I took this master class on Hans Zimmer for composing for film. And the whole thing was really geared towards film and how you work with directors and writers and whatnot. Um, so assuming you are a composer, a musician, how to have conversations with these other creators to get your vision across or to understand their vision. It was a lot of that. But when he did get into some of the specifics of his music style, he definitely hammered in really heavily um, his use of motif. Um so it makes total sense your explanation of like Wagner and the leitmotif using it for a character. Um thinking back on some of his lessons that's exactly what he was doing. So he used Sherlock as a recognizable example. Um and also how he wanted to um take the music in a different direction and we can get into this a little bit later, but just to kind of tee things up. Um you know that's an example where there's been a ton of Sherlock movies and TV shows he um, his lessons are really focused around understanding the character. Talk to your director because they own the character and really understand who is this person and when you have a clear understanding of who that person is, it will help drive the music. And it seems like all the pieces in the soundtrack really kind of start to orbit, you know, like in a solar system around the motif that he has set for the main character and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe counterbalanced with the the primary bad guy mm-hmm. uh, antagonist.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that that the way you put that orbiting is a really good uh, good way because... As I listen to some through some of his soundtracks, like you really kind of hear, um, I mean, things keep getting pulled back to that main theme, almost, almost in every track. You know, there's like some reference to it, and you really do get the feeling, even of orbiting, even when it's like, oh, this is like one of those tracks that's like completely stands out from the rest. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you'll notice those, like, oh, they're going in a completely different direction here. Um there's still like moments where it's like oh but there's a callback you know to that to that main thing. I mean, it's just reminding you this still exists in the world of of that of the uh, main character, the main motif, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. And cool. he um I guess we can we can dive into some examples and and start talking about it uh before it's been too much preamble, but I I I wanted to we've talked a little bit, you know, off of the podcast about him and uh, there might be some more interesting things to share just in general. Um, he, <clears throat> I don't have a full bio pulled up in front of me or anything, but from his master class, he talked about how he never went, uh, to school for music. He didn't go to conservatory or university or anything like that. Um, he did grow up with some kind of weird, uh, parents who didn't let him have a TV. So he had a ton of records at home and, um, they didn't let him see movies. And so as a kid, he would sneak out sometimes and, and go to, uh, see a movie and he became quickly enamored with, I think it was Neo Morricone um, uh, music set to the movies that he was seeing at that time. And mm-hmm. he felt like, oh, that's that's what I want to do. He didn't quite know how to get there, but that planted the seed for him. Uh, so from the beginning, it, it's not like he was a you know, concert pianist and then ended up becoming a composer and then got a job working for a studio. He really, from the beginning, was kind of awestruck by using music to enhance the movie, um, which I think is pretty cool. And he also encourages people, even if he has a lot of interns that come in from, you know, really prestigious universities and music schools, he encourages them to push themselves and do stuff that's different and non-traditional. And when he seeks out his performers, he'll often ask them, um, you know, what is the what is the sound on your, like, let's say he's talking to a clarinetist, what is the sound on your clarinet that you've always been told to never make? <laughs> and can you make that sound for me? Yeah. And, or, yeah, or what is this, you know, kind of unique sound that, that you feel you might have? Or um, And he kind of uses that as the starting point. And um, he told a separate story about uh, this cellist. I wish I could remember which soundtrack it was related to, but um, he, he brought her in not because of the cello. And a lot of people think of the cello as this beautiful, we kind of talked about this before, very human, kind of soulful sound. But he brought this performer in because of how she can be when she is playing the cello.
2: What I do to this day, I mean, you know, Sherlock is a really good example of this, where I would would cast my player partly because I've heard them before and partly because of who I know they are, you know, um, as a human being, as an actor. And I, and I would just get them in. I would, I, you know, we would just sit and chat with the instrument and go, OK, tell me what you can do. But, you know, no, 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 I want a bit more, uh, you know, c- c- what, what is it the instruments? We did this a lot on Interstellar um, with the woodwinds going now, I know each one of you has a sound that every uh, that, that you were never allowed to play. What is that sound? And you just enter into the conversation. I mean, on this last Batman and Superman film, I needed to find a sound for Wonder Woman. Um, you know, and at first I went the obvious route, which was, you know, like a female voice I went, oh, God, I've done that a thousand times. You know, so so that's not it. And then I suddenly remembered a female cellist friend of mine, Tina Guo, who plays electric cello. And she is, when she comes into the room, she's one of the most polite and humble and quiet people you know, very reserved, very shy. But when she grabs the cello, she has a certain way of grabbing the cello and moving the bow in front of it. It's like some ninja warrior princess and all hell is unleashed. Because because people are different when they have their instruments in front of them. You know, they, they, they can express something that they keep hidden from you. And, the whole point the whole point of this room the whole point of what I what I try to do with them is I try to trick them into the comfort of expressing all that they can express and with Tina I mean literally it, we, we spend a week on this phrase just honing this f- honing the performance of this and I I remember the first time playing it to the director and his producer wife you know they were sitting on on the couch and without saying anything i you know just had the picture running and then then that phrase came in and shock to them and in, in a good way the, the, it made them nervous it made them anxious it made them really excited because you know I, I, I transformed the character but it was it was really stopping this idea that you want to have a cello I don't want to have a cello I want Tina Guo that's who I want and I do that with, with all of my players, I need to know, you know, I, I, it's not the string section. If if you think of it as the string section, you, you know, you might as well go into the fields and hire a bunch of sheep. That's not the point. The point is that you want to handpick every individual player for their strength.
0: Um, so it's not necessarily, like, obviously, you know, you think of some common sounds like, oh, French horns and stuff for Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. But um, he he does try to create those aesthetics, but it's really, it seems like it's more people first, which I had never even thought about. I just thought about, like, oh, you just get the London Symphony Orchestra <laughs> in here and give them the sheet music and they'll make it beautiful. a little flavor of who Hans Zimmer is as a composer I, you know, maybe other people thought this too. I just kind of hear his soundtrack and think large grand orchestra. And I think, oh, he's a probably traditional conservatory mm-hmm. type of person. Um, but actually, um, you know, he's all of what I just described. And he's a, a synth lover. He loves synthesizers and experimenting with sounds. He, he will spend hours uh, in a day just, Tweaking with little effects in his software to get a particular unique uh sound on a synthesizer. Yeah. Um so there's little context.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll say, you know, that, that follows a, a big contemporary music trend. And I shouldn't say contemporary music. I'm sure it was probably this way in uh more classical period stuff too. But like um composers now a lot of times are really writing for a specific people. You know, they might write like a string quartet. Oh really? But but they're being commissioned by that string quartet and so they usually get to know them pretty well and they and they try to become familiar with the way they play so that when they write something for them it's like fits their personality. And I know that I, mm. I worked for Eighth Blackbird for a while, which is a contemporary music sextet that has won several Grammys. And they when they have something written sometimes the stuff has come in where the parts don't say like flute, clarinet, cello, piano, percussion, they say like Natalie, Yvonne, Michael, you know, the parts oh, just really? say their names, <laughs> you know. And I thought that, you know, it's like kinda speaks to that that you're talking about like they're written for people more than they're written for. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. And That's I mean you know like I'm not saying every composer is that way, but like I think some of the some of good music comes out that way because people are really they invest in a person, they know a person and they and they learn what they can do as a person. It's something we've actually my group has talked about with some composers before, like I'd rather you get to know me as a person and what I am capable of because it might inform you to do something completely like different, even outside of extra mm-hmm. musical. You know, like just knowing, for instance, that like I do like weightlifting or something might make you think of me doing something particularly interesting in percussion to make a huge sound, right? Or I mean, it, mm-hmm. it can go for a lot of different things. Like, what are you good at? Like, what are you as a person good at, and how can you use that as an artist? I think that's a really important question yeah. to ask.
0: But that's interesting to know, and I'm sure, you know, just kind of putting on our host hats, Mm -hmm. the people listening to this are probably not aware of that either. Um, I had always, you know, when I think of composing music, I think of the sheet music I played on piano, Bach or Chopin, hundreds of years old. And I just kind of assumed that, okay, if you're a composer, you're making new music, but you're still like, you know, an author writing a book. They're not writing a letter to a person, they're writing a book for everybody to read. I kind of th- always thought of music composition as you know, you're writing something for a violin, mm. for a flute. Um, doesn't matter who plays it, hopefully, they're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it was interesting for me to learn. Well, now,
1: with contemporary music, too, like people aren't learning the same skills. So, like, you know, there is like a classical school of how to play the flute or how to play the violin. But when it comes to contemporary music, a lot of that's like completely blown out of the water. So it kind of really depends on the very training you might have had, whether or not you do know how to do some techniques. Like they may just not even be something that you learn um, in school. So mm. you, yeah, it's kind of hard just to write for violin anymore or just for a specific instrument because you don't know for sure, unless you're certain that that person has learned X technique or whatever, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Huh.
1: Yeah. Well, what should we start with, Rob?
0: Um. Let's do some, uh, some Inception. Inception.
1: I think. That'd be really cool. Okay. Cool. cool. We just listened to. Um, it's called "Dream Is Collapsing" from the uh, Inception soundtrack. Uh, in case you want to follow along at home,
0: definitely feels like your dream is collapsing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, some of the things I love about this track, and I, I noticed this is actually you know a common theme in, in Hans's soundtracks, but. Hans, as if I know him. Hans, my buddy Hans. <laughs> uh, Hans Zimmer's soundtracks uh, are that he does these like really effective layering things, right? Where there's like one thing going on, and then it brings in another motif on top of it, hmm. um, and then a third one, and then a fourth one. Right? It keeps building. He builds the pressure through that sort of right. And um, but in this particular case, I think what is. Uh, so effective about it is that if you know anything about the movie Inception, right? They're going through these layers, right? They go to one dream, and then they go from that dream, they go a dream within a dream, and they go even deeper than that. Um, and so, what's interesting about this, and this part, the part of the movie this comes from, at least I'm pretty sure they don't do the soundtracks in the order of the movie, um, but I'm pretty sure that this one is the one, um, the very first dream that they're in, and they're in a dream within a dream. And so, you hear these different. Things happening like the dum bum 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 dum bum like moving at that speed, right? So you've got something moving at about this fast, and then behind that you've got ba ba, all right? <laughs> and these like slower things mm-hmm. moving. Um, and then even slower ones, like, duh. duh. Right, so there's, like, these different layers of time. Different timescales, yeah. Yeah, 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 and that comes back in a lot in this, as it should, you know, a movie that deals so much with time. But I think he does so good, Uh, So he does so good. Uh, He does such a nice, (laughs) he does such a nice job. Um, Like sort of reminding you about the different levels by doing that. Like you, things kind of peek out of the texture. Like, Oh, remember that fast thing is still going on, but now we're in this slower Hmm. part. And I don't know. It just, it feels like it's stretching itself in both directions. Like it's moving faster and slower at the same time somehow.
0: Right. Um, Like he'll, the, you hear the higher notes are the little bit faster ones. Like, the strings you hear, but then you have the big low brass, and they kind of equally draw your attention because they're in these like two different uh sound, um, uh, I don't know, palettes. So,
1: right, yeah. um, and then the even cooler thing happens at the end of this track where, um, and this is like the coup de grace really of the whole Inception soundtrack, I think. Um, you'll have to put a jump cut here, Rob, mm-hmm. to Edith Piaf, and you can maybe even put it in the show notes, Edith Piaf. Uh it's a piece called it's written in French. I'm gonna butcher it, but it's like je ne rien," which means uh oh wait, I forget what it means. Doesn't <laughs>
0: That's matter. It's no good.
1: But anyway, <laughs> it's the it's a song that they're listening to in their headphones. Um it goes Uh-oh. like bum 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 bum. Bum bum, right? That's like the the melody of it. So Mm -hmm. you can put a little jump cut of it in there, and people hear what it sounds like. But what makes it so awesome is that these people are in a dream, right? And they have this music on their headphones. Mm -hmm. You'll hear it at some point in the in the movie. They they loosen the headphones, and you hear that. So you know they're listening to it. And then when they're in the dream, it comes out as this, instead of going bum, 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 like it does in the actual song, it goes... Bum 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 bum, oh. bum and that's like the call that's the music they're hearing. So it's like it's actually kind of in the dream. But it's
0: kinda of like stretched out because their consciousness is in a different place.
1: Exactly. Oh, man, exactly. That's so cool. They say something about like at some point in the movie that like five minutes in the real world is like an hour in the dream. Right. Now I don't think that the actual mathematics works out in the way he you know did the music, but like it's the the thought of it that counts, right? <laughs> that, yeah. Like-
0: and and it, and that speaks to what I was describing earlier, where he really does his homework in the sense of talking to the director and understanding, you know, like what Chris Nolan wants from this and what or what his dream world really is and then you know exactly. applying his music image to that
1: exactly okay you want to hear another track yeah let's do it okay this is dream within a dream
0: all right follow along at home kids I, yeah. I, I liked, um, the, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me was maybe like 75, 80% through the track. Um, you hear him introduce, uh, synthesizers, which I thought was pretty cool. And, um, you know, I never really, maybe just wasn't paying attention, but I never really thought of Hans Zimmer as a guy doing electronic music, um, until I watched <laughs> his masterclass and like, that's his, his native instrument is basically synthesizers, um, and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear how he sneaks it in there. And it's it's tied very closely to this electric guitar, so you don't really notice it at first. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would guess that in a lot of his soundtracks, there are at least half, half parts uh, electronic and half parts acoustic. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. more in this soundtrack going on that's electronic, and it just kind of has some acoustic instruments plugged into it, okay. I think, more or less. I'm even wondering, you know, some of these it's kind of hard to tell if they're actual string recordings or if they're just synthesized strings. I mean, so because he's doing tricks to them, it's kind of hard to tell. So you know, on sometimes. on
0: that note, he did say he first of all he he finds his like favorite cellist or favorite you know mm-hmm. instrument players, and he will ask to sample them. So people mm-hmm. who don't know what sampling is, it's like this painful process, I'm sure I can only imagine <laughs> of having someone play every note on their instrument, probably a couple different ways, and you take that and you chop it up and you feed it to a computer so when you hit you know D sharp on your computer keyboard, uh, it will play back what that person played on their instrument and um so he yeah. he samples his favorite performers because he wants to have their sound, but he always gets them to perform it, you know, um mm-hmm. in the real, basically. Um
1: Oh, that's good to know. Yeah.
0: So he never cool. if you hear acoustic instruments, it is always a performer.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. He'll
0: he'll he will write with samples all the way up to, mm-hmm. you know, the point that he's done and that helps yeah. him get the shape that he wants. But then when it goes into recording, um it's always real people.
1: Yeah, it's the people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with that uh, track, it had you know some of the same techniques we talked about from the first one, right? There's a lot of the layering, the time things going on. You can hit the different levels, but what's especially interesting about this one, I think, um, well, there's a couple of things. The first, this one has like a lot more percussion in it than the first track uh, that we uh, listened yeah. to, and it starts with some really fast percussion. But then that percussion kind of comes back later as they've gone into the second dream, all right, or into the deeper dream, mm-hmm. in a really slow way. So at first it's kind of like, it's like kind of like sixteenth notey, like, like fast. Uh-huh. And then later it comes back. It's just like, it's like really like slow and like echoey and. Um, so that's, it's interesting. He introduces that texture, but he still treats it the same way. Um, and then the other thing I found interesting that kind of, he's playing with time again is he introduces what's called polyrhythms. That's polyrhythms what I heard. where you're playing.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was like, it feels like there's this slightly incongruous, like gears moving.
1: Yeah. And so, um... For the listeners there, a polyrhythm um, is where you, it's what you might guess is two rhythms going on, at least two rhythms going on at the same time. So in the space that I had, yeah, I'm going to use a metronome. Actually, that'll make this real nice. <laughs> okay, So here's my metronome. It's playing at 80 beats per minute. So 80 times it's going to beat in a single minute. Let's get a nicer sound than that. That's pretty painful. Okay, there we go. So I can subdivide this beat into two parts, which would be like, one and two and three and mm-hmm. four, and I can substitute into three or subdivide into three parts one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, or four parts one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But I can also do multiples of those at the same time. Um, so if I do that with like let's say eighth notes and triplets, I have my eighth notes over here in my left hand, and then I add the triplets on top, I'm going to get. So I have yep. one two three one two three one two one oh so I messed that up one two three one two three one two three I was doing that completely wrong. There we go, that's the right one. Okay, you can just edit all that out if you want, Rob. Okay, <laughs> I mean I, so was, I, I was prepared one, two, to be three, one, impressed because
0: I've never been able to overlap the triplets and the <laughs> quarter. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, what led me to do that wrong the first time is because the one he's using in this actual piece yeah. is to do what I was doing the. Dun, uh, 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 uh. And then bum 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 Think thing. Dee right, so they're mm-hmm. happening at the same time. And it creates this feeling of two separate timelines, right? Like one thing is moving like this fast, and the other thing is going like around it almost like dancing circles around oh. it as it goes on. you know what i mean so that's that's another technique he used, and I just so that's that 's me getting to look like a terrible musician <laughs> <laughs> but you can leave that in i don 't mind yeah. if you leave it in uh, but that kind of hopefully explains how polyrhythms work, and he uses them really effectively that's yeah that's really interesting
0: in this. in terms of tempo itself, not to get too technical, but in his master class he says that he he really likes 80 uh, BPM or 80 tempo um, because it's very easy to subdivide. Um, And also he was going on some tangent, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something to do with fitting sort of the natural rhythm of um, of what's going on in the screen. Um, Just, I don't know, events, movements kind of easily uh, fit that Mm -hmm. type of pace. And he often does try to fit um, his tempo and the the feeling of the music to what's going on um, on screen. He doesn't necessarily write. It's more of a coincidence. He doesn't have the movie. This um, is another thing he kind of went into. He doesn't ever have, like, here's a silent version of the movie, and he's playing it on a monitor while he composes. Usually he starts at the same time everyone else starts, and... Um, so he's he's working without anything to look at, but um, yeah. he knows the director. You, sh- you know, he works with similar directors all the time, and uh, the music editors and all that. So he kind of has a feeling for how they're going to pace out a scene, and so that's he has some kind of default settings himself that line up well with what's going on on the screen
1: yeah well, and what's convenient about that and the way he composes it, there's a lot of like loops almost that are continuously going, so he can always just like cut down the loop a little bit mm-hmm. or just chop it off there and compose a different little ending so that it fits in the scene, so I'm sure that that's that's really helpful and efficient yeah for him, okay, I got one more from this, but it's just for one particular thing okay. so um well it's only it's three minutes long, it's called Paradox. it's the last one we'll do from inception, all right.
0: It reminded me of something that that he said uh, jokingly that he likes to torture his performers. Um, And he's saying (laughs) how, like, if you're playing on a stringed instrument, do you realize how hard it is to play so quiet and very long notes? (laughs) Kind of made me think of what what we're hearing here.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, on that note, that that is one great thing about this particular track. You can, in fact, in the beginning of the very beginning there with the violin, um, it's it must be super close mic'd because you can hear mm. the the bow noise other than the no the noise of the bow on the string the contact noise mm-hmm. so not just the resultant pitch but the little like hissing of the bow yeah uh which i think is really i mean it's really, it kind of i'm not sure how that relates exactly to the you know the movie but that's just like such a cool effect it's like a lot of it's so delicate feeling when you can hear that like it sounds like it's just going to snap or something it at any does, moment does yeah
0: it feels like you're yeah like if you ever have like a long piece of hair or something and you like you feel like a like when you pull just like it's so thin yeah mhm well, what were you the, looking the, for though it, what, the thing did you
1: the thing I thought it was in this track but maybe maybe it's in another track but there's these risings, rises that happen Okay, yeah, that is it. Okay, sorry, I just figured it out. <laughs> okay, so it is that. So what happens is it goes up four, mm-hmm. and then it goes down eight. Huh. So it goes, bum. and then it leaves the space because right, it has four up, four down, and then four space, and then four up, four down, four space. So it's doing the same bump, bump, like bump, mm-hmm. bumped, bump, bumped, bumped. It's the same ratio. As the fast bump 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 thing, it's just taken down even another level.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> I can try to say that nicer if you want to actually put it in the pod. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean it leaves the space? So okay, so that the the main theme, the main idea is right. One two rest. One two rest. One two rest. One two rest. Right. Mm-hmm. Bump 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 rest. Bump bump rest like that. Okay. And then when it gets taken down a level, it's Bom bom rest. Bom bum rest. Bum, bum, rest. Mm-hmm. And here it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, rest, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, one. So it's four counts up on a uh, four counts on the second one and then a four count space, which would make it the same ratio. Mm-hmm. One, one, rest, one, one, Wow. Rest. So, yeah, I know. It's I crazy. think that's, you know, I, and it, I, it took me a while to figure out what the, how to count that, right? You heard me count against yeah. it, you're probably like, what? That's the tempo? And I'm guessing that's one way to hear the tempo, but I could at least put the same amount of space between the things, which is. I thought about timing it with a stopwatch, but I didn't get around to it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there's probably some part of that you can put in the pod that, that sounds good. <laughs> yep um and maybe you can find that spot. I'm just not gonna um, edit
0: any of this, and people will be totally confused
1: <laughs> <laughs> or they'll think I'm an idiot, yeah <laughs> so so yeah, that's what I got for inception. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more cool stuff in it. um you know, there's a part where they're mm-hmm. in Cancha, uh, they're in Mombasa and they're doing a chase scene that's really I was cool, gonna say there's a bunch of percussion
0: just, there. I'm surprised you didn't go with the percussion cr- track.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of -of run-of-the-mill, like, you know, use percussion for a chase scene, so I wasn't, like, particularly drawn to it as much as I was this exact, like, that motif that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. I just think, you know, this movie, we've said before, like, maybe we've said before, maybe I was talking to somebody else, but, like, I think it was either Siskel or Ebert said, like, it's the first, like, truly original movie he had seen in, like, Hmm. a long time, like, original concept like, it doesn't borrow from any previous concept. It's just, like, completely original. And I really feel like Zimmer matched that with his soundtrack, having this, like, I mean, to use time in that way in music and match the movie, I'm like, I've never heard anything like that. I had never huh. heard anything like that before this, you know? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Man, I got to watch this movie again now. I mean, it, was, so it good. was good. It holds up, I just, too. um I, I I don't often go back and watch old movies, but um, this one seems worth it. If it's if it's like a favorite, then I'll go back and watch it. Like two thousand one Space Odyssey, of course, always leaves me kind of scratching my head, and the music is beautiful, so I, I'll watch that maybe once a year or so.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, what I love about I mean this movie in general is that it doesn't it goes just deep enough into things without going like It doesn't need, like, its own canon Mm -hmm. in order to make sense. Like, you don't have to understand all of the particulars about how they're going into dreams. They just give you enough to get by. And I think that's, like, to do that and have such a good movie overall, like, only giving you that much information, like, I think is hard to do, right? Because now we have, like, Star Wars and Star Trek, and there's, like, literally wikis set up that tell you all about the universe of those things, right? And that's what makes those things good, in my opinion, is just the depth. Yeah, yeah. But this one, it seems to like, I mean, I know people have pointed out plot holes in it and stuff, but it, when you're just watching it casually, you don't, definitely don't notice any plot holes, um, at least I don't, mm-hmm. and, and instead you're like drawn to these concepts that make sense, and I think the, the soundtrack is such a big part in helping you process the going deeper into dreams and like and, and having you believe it, you know, because you feel yeah. like you're going deeper and deeper and deeper. So. Yeah,
0: that's, anyway. that's definitely interesting um to draw a circle around what we were talking about at the beginning with motifs and leitmotifs um there's definitely you know like a i would call it like a theme um that you get in paradox and in time um did you uh, did you happen to notice i don't know while you're watching or whatever any particular like character themes um
1: not particularly i was not it's drawn more to any and and I kind of feel like that's because the, in the movie, there actually aren't any strong characters in this movie. Everybody is kind of a vanilla character. Like, if I was to put, like, the importance, like, you know, there's all the elements of a movie or a play or whatever. Like, there's, like, the setting and there's, like, the the mood, I would even say. And then there's, like, the characters. Um, what else? I mean, there's, I guess, the, the actual text and the plot. Like... For this movie, the characters like they could almost have been played by anybody. I feel like as mm-hmm. long as they were like decent, like decent actors, it was so much more about the plot and the concept to make it work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think it it didn't really demand a strong acting performance from anyone. It's definitely not a and, memorable
0: performance. <laughs>
1: I will say that no, and like, you, I you don't, don't, don't even get remember to like know. who's the
0: main character? What was their problem? You know, there's like conflict solution. All I remember is. Batshit, trippy dream scenes, people chasing them with a gun, <laughs> and like, are you really awake or is it another dream? And you know, yeah. just the whole the concept of the movie. I don't really remember like, oh, so and so main character, um, or a or a focused, like bad enemy.
1: Yeah. I mean yeah, we talked about this before with like Ad Astra. Like that movie was had like a really bad plot. <laughs> yeah but it was like the mood of it was really good. Like it, it was like, oh, this is like kind of interesting to imagine what it feels like to live in a world where we s- travel through space this way and like how it's a bit like a lot colder and kind of like impersonal. Um, yeah, it no longer feels very human. And for this one, I think like you know the the characters like there's no real, I mean, there's no real character development. In the whole thing, like everyone's a static character pretty much the whole time. Um, even and the plot itself is actually just like, well, like Leo DiCaprio's character needs to do this one big job so that he can get cleared of these like uh, like uh, presumed murder charges and get back to the United States. Mm. But I only remember that because I just watched it. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I totally forgot about that part. Yeah. All I remembered is like what you said. It's more about the the concept, the setting of the movie or the way, the world in which it exists. Yep. That makes it memorable. The folding um, in.
0: All
1: yeah, that kind of yeah. Stuff. Cool. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, Inception. Well. Go check it out.
0: Speaking of outer space, that was your other one. Um, yeah. We could... We could listen. I mean, I have time. If you want to listen to a few, we can. Or if you want to take a break, we can cut it and do a part two.
1: Yeah, that took a lot longer than I thought. Yeah. So maybe let's do a part two. This might be a trilogy because um, I got to get to uh, Sherlock right. and yeah
0: and Batman. But I think um, you know. So if you're, uh, I think that the interesting takeaways if you if you don't. Go to part two and three, that we haven't made yet. Um, I think it's it's definitely my my sort of conclusions for Hans Zimmer is that he is very story driven and he he lives to paint the scenery and draw draw the character, and you know maybe like you said with with this not Interstellar <laughs> with uh, Inception. It wasn't very character focused. Like, of course, every story has to have characters, but maybe it is more just about this concept. And it seems to be that's where uh, Hans put his time and effort as well.
1: Yeah, and I'd like the, most of the thematic material comes from this other song, this Edith Piaf song. Um, like, I I think anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like that just like, goes to show you he had to like outsource like something to use for it to have content to work with because there wasn't like. Any strong thing he could develop on his own I mean that 's not to say anything bad about him, I just think that 's or maybe Christopher Nolan
0: was like, "All right, the characters are going to be listening to this, and so <laughs> yeah. so he 's like, okay well i 've got to use that now as the seed for everything <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think interstellar i don 't know how I'd classify <clears throat> that movie if it was more um, character driven or atmospheric. It was extremely atmospheric i mm-hmm. Paid for this the 4K version of this movie on Apple TV. Mm. I own I own two movies in 4K. I generally don't bother buying movies, but Mm -hmm. I have 2001: Space Odyssey and I have Interstellar. Um, Yeah, just because you know space is beautiful, and these uh, these two movies did a really good job representing space and uh, and also scenes on the planet and stuff. So anyway, it's to me it's very environmental. It's about the feeling of being way far away from home. It is obviously mm. a character-based story because you have the father and daughter kind of thing going on. Um, but, yeah, I don't know where I land on that. If it, it yeah. I haven't listened to the soundtrack in a while, so we'll talk about this in the next episode. But I'm kind of curious where it falls in terms of leitmotif with the character's drawing the the music or if it's more about trying to give you that that feeling of of danger or isolation that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah we'll talk about that in the next pod i think that's good sounds good
0: all right well all until right. next time i'll
1: stop recording all right <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, Bye bye everyone be yeah.